Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What does every college football player dream of? How about suiting up for an historic program? Winning multiple awards on a talent-laden team? Being part of a legendary matchup? And playing for a decorated head coach? Well, it's our lucky day, because we have that college football legend right here. It's time for the College Football Legends Podcast. The players. We're going to hit somebody, and we're taking downfield for a touchdown. I guarantee you that. The coaches. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The plays. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. And so much more. College football legends. Heroes come and go, but legends live forever. Believe in college football legends on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Chris Smith. Give me a follow on Twitter at the Sports Jesus. That's at the Sports Jesus. The month is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action, and Bet Online is where you can find it. From baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and features, Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. One of the most storied programs in all of college football is the University of Notre Dame. The Fighting Irish boasts seven Heisman Trophy winners, 195 first-team All-Americans, a whopping 47 college football Hall of Famers, including six Hall of Fame coaches and 11 national championships. Amazingly, one player was a part of that history. So we'll take a look at the past and future of Notre Dame football with my special guest on the show, Chris Zurich, defensive tackle for the University of Notre Dame, winner of the UPI Lineman of the Year, two-time Concessions All-American, Lombardi Award winner, Orange Bowl defensive MVP, a member of both the College Football Hall of Fame and the Walter Camp All-Time All-American team, plus national champion. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Uh, you as well, but also a great introduction. I appreciate that. Hey, there's a, there's a lot going on there, and it's been a year since we got a chance <laughs> to speak, and man, what a year it's been. Oh, I am wearing your half-shirt jersey in your honor, and thank goodness we're not on video right now. <laughs> All right. Before oh, okay, well, if, if you're wearing it, then then, then I'm wearing it as well. All so right. Yes, dueling 80s, Chris's so. with the half shirt jerseys. Love it. <laughs> All right. Before we get into that amazing career, let's take a look back at the season for the Irish. Notre Dame went ten and two, nine and zero in the ACC, but dropped the conference championship game and the playoff semifinal against Alabama. What do you think of the team's overall performance last year? Well, I mean. Obviously, we're very excited when, when you look at kind of what the actual record was uh, going into the playoff, going into the ACC playoff, um, you, you, have to get, you have to be excited about being only, only um, going in there undefeated. And, and that's something that I think we, we tend to forget because we've had some a mishap uh, in, the, in, in the playoff and then also in the in the um, uh, the college playoff, uh, yeah, in the Rose opportunity. Bowl. So when you look at our season, it was a great season. Being being undefeated is actually a good thing. the The challenge for us is being able to kind of overcome that hump. Uh, be having a chance to hopefully get get that win. That's a little bit more important than. Um, being able to look at all of the prospects that are are going to be out there because one one of the things we have to focus on are those skill position athletes, which we unfortunately didn't have, uh, which obviously gave us the result that 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 we weren't too, we weren't too excited about. Yeah, well, I mean, they they finished the season ranked fifth in the final polls. And the future definitely looks bright. Do you prefer their independent slate of games, or did you like the Irish in a conference? Well, being an individual that is a strong proponent of having a chance to be independent, uh, I think it's important. Um, one, because we have a chance really to kind of make our own schedule. And two, I think one of the things that 
we tend to forget about is if anybody had a chance to be independent and create their own schedule and also be part of a conference, that they would do it. So all of the naysayers that talk about does Notre Dame belong in a conference, should they, should they stay independent? You know, the, the response to everyone is you have to look at kind of what Texas would do, what would Oklahoma do, what would Alabama do, and they would all have a chance to kind of have this dual relationship. Absolutely. And Notre Dame kicks off the season in Tallahassee against Florida State. And like you said, they didn't get a chance to play some of their traditional rivals like Stanford or USC in 2020. The Irish has played Stanford in every year since 1997 and played USC every year since 1946. So it's going to be good to get back to that. Um, no and, and now Notre Dame has won 24 straight games at home. How special is playing in South Bend? Oh my gosh, you know it's 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 great. Uh, obviously, having a chance to to play in front of our fans is important. But I think having a chance to kind of build that that um, I'm kind of getting excited that 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 amazing tradition is important because when you look at how many classes have gone through there with. The, the season being undefeated at, at home, it's really special for them because uh, they're excited about that. And when you have alumni who have great memories, then you have alumni who tend to give a lot of money. So it's, it's, <laughs> that it's, helps. it's one of those things where not only for the, for the players is great, but it's also great for the students. I, I have a daughter who's at St. Mary's right now and you know the fact that she was able to uh storm the field after the the Clemson victory was was really a great experience for her and a, a lot of people really don't have that opportunity absolutely and we're speaking with college football legend chris zorich and since notre dame venue opened in 1930 the 1942 to 1950 team won 28 in a row like we said 24 in a row up to the present day and from 1987 to 1990 there was 19 straight victories which i think you had a hand in yeah, and, a couple, a couple. <laughs> and not only did the 2020 mark the irish first year as a conference member it also marked the first time in program history that notre dame won at least 10 games in four straight seasons with that said how do you feel about this upcoming season and is brian kelly on the hot seat if the irish don't get over that postseason hump <laughs> well, I mean, it's. I mean, it's tough it's to great. it's tough to win ten game ten games four, I don't know gonna say four that. seasons I mean, in a, four seasons like, in a row. You can't knock them for it, but you know, we're, here's we're, the amazing thing is that we're talking about a coach winning ten games in the in a row for the last four years. I mean, that's that's an amazing feat. And then the next part was, so is he on a hot seat? <laughs> you know, it's just crazy, right? Because, well, that that's well, the day but, and age we live in. Well, right? No, no, you. You're exactly right. And when, when you throw Notre Dame in the mix, um, I think it's, I mean, it's, that's right, right where we belong in that mix. And it's going to be kind of interesting to kind of see if we're able to kind of learn from what happened last year. Um, and, and I think Coach Kelly and his coaching staff have said publicly that, you know, we knew we were close. However, there were a couple positions that they, they needed to improve on, which were the, the skill position. Because if you remember in 2000, or, uh, yeah, in, in 2012, when Notre Dame played Alabama for the National oh, Championship. Oh, yeah, I was down there in Miami. Oh, there you go. Uh, well, you, you had a chance to see it firsthand. I mean, Notre Dame was dominated um, on a line of scrimmage. Exactly. And they kind of vowed after that game, the athletic director, the coaching staff vowed after that game, hey, you know, we, we saw a huge um, difference between our guys and Alabama's guys. We're going to improve on that. And they did. Um, so they were able to improve on that. However, uh, they, they also need to improve on the skill positions so we could have the receivers that are able to uh, make plays where we're going to need those those defensive backs who are able to cover Alabama's great receivers. So as soon as we get those in the mix, we'll 
have a chance to succeed. Now, I know that was a huge concentration for them during re recruiting, so that's going to be an improvement. Uh, my question is, if he goes 10-0 again, um, it's going to be five straight seasons, and we're exactly. still going to be saying, hey, is he going to win an <laughs> championship or what? I'll be looking for your Twitter feed. Is he on the hot seat? <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing. Kelly is four wins shy of becoming the winningest head coach in Notre Dame football history. It's absolutely amazing. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich. And the Irish have a new defensive coordinator this season in Marcus Freeman, who spent the last four years as defensive coordinator with Cincinnati. And the Bearcats had one of the top defensive units last season. And since you're a defensive guy, what makes up a legendary defense? Is it a combination of attitude, coaching, and the right players to make an outstanding defense? Uh that's exactly what it is. I'm surprised you aren't a defensive <laughs> coordinator. I mean, I played it, one, it, it, one one year of high school ball, so you know. <laughs> well, well, it's it's interesting because it's exactly what you're talking about. Now, it's it's such a challenge to actually do it, right? It's, it's such a challenge to actually have the players. It, it's it, it's a challenge to make sure those players have this aggressive, great defensive mentality, and Oh, by the way, we have to have a good scheme for it. Exactly. I've been on some great defenses in college and in the pros, where, and especially on the professional level, I mean, everybody is the best at their position, but our defense wasn't that great. Okay, so I mean, it's a little bit of everything. Yet, when we when we won the national championship in '88, uh, I think we averaged about. Um, I think our, our defense gave up, I want to say, either single-digit or maybe uh, a 10 to, to 12 points a game. Yeah, amazing. And, uh, and we weren't ranked number one at the time. So, you know, it, it really depends on attitude, scheme, and also having the players. Absolutely. And they're getting the Bearcats, former head defensive coordinator, and they had one of the top defensive units in the FBS last season, including the top-ranked 15 nationally in both scoring defense and total defense. So looks like a move in the right direction. Let's get into that illustrious career and talk about making moves. You attended Chicago vocational, never played organized football up to that point, And you're at a school that has a fair share of great players, Dick Buckus, Keenan Turner. And then you make your way to Notre Dame and coach Holtz moves you from linebacker to nose tackle for the <laughs> Irish. What, which is quite a feat in its own right is this where you unlock your God-given talents? Uh, I don't know about God-given, but um, it was kind of one of those situations where he put a lot of pressure on me. Uh, it was after a practice, and I remember vividly like it was yesterday. Um, we were playing against Michigan State that, that, that week, and I was on the scout team. And I don't know if you remember, but um, back in the early 90s, Michigan State had a great linebacker named Percy Snow. Oh, yeah. And they had this crazy defense where they had like 30 defensive linemen and like one linebacker. <laughs> and so I was, I just happened to be one of those defensive linemen. And I guess I had a good practice. And so when host called up the team after practice, I think it was like on a Tuesday of Michigan State week, uh, you know, he kind of announced and said, you know, hey, I think we found our, our, a future nose guard. Chris, how would you like to play nose guard? And you're looking around like, wait, me? me? <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, in front of the whole team, you're going to ask me this? And I was like, of course, coach, sure. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, that's a whole different so skill set, really, and my, mindset being being down there, reading the center and everything. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a challenge, but I was fortunate enough to spend – um, the rest of that year on the scout squad, although I didn't play in any games, I really had, I really, um, I guess you could say, kind of say honed my craft, so to speak. Sure. Um, I, I had a chance to practice against an all American center that we had. So, so that was great practice. And then I was able to, to, to start my sophomore year on. Yeah. Speaking of that sophomore year, you went from, 215 pounds to around 260. The cafeteria was open, I assume. <laughs> and in the first game of the season, 
You go out and record 10 tackles, a sack and a half against ninth-ranked Michigan. Did you expect to go out and make such an impact? Not, I, I actually literally, Chris, lost my mind. Um, <laughs> that was the first game I'd ever played for Notre Dame, and it was the first game that we had that actually Notre Dame was playing a night game. That was oh, the first night game they wow. ever had. And so coming out of the tunnel under the lights. Oh my god! Oh my god! And outside before that game, I mean, you mentioned I'd never played organized football. The, the biggest crowd we had in my high school was maybe like 150, 160 people. <laughs> and then you go to. So <laughs> I, I went from that to like being on the biggest, brightest stage at the time. And I remember kind of after the game, and, and I mean, this was years later, when I was talking to my teammates, they're like, Chris, you know, we weren't sure if you were, you were like with a, you were like in another world, like you didn't, you didn't talk to us or anything. Like you were in the zone, and I was like, "Really?" And, and I, I don't remember the actual plays. Um, I, I do you had to go back to the film times, room and check it out. Seriously, I remember a couple times I jumped off sides, and I remember Holtz was all up in my ass about it. <laughs> I'm sure. But afterward, I was just like, "Man, this is cool." And I, like you said, I mean, I had a sack and a half, and ten tackles. I mean, a, a defense a tackle top doesn't 10 do team. that, you know. Right, exactly, exactly. So I was more than excited, and that was kind of a, and that wound up being my favorite individual game because, and, and not so much because of, of, of all my stats, but because that was my first chance to actually play for Notre Dame, wear the gold helmet, and we had a chance to play a great Michigan team. Unbelievable. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich, and that 1988 season was very special. You roll through the next four games, dismantling Michigan State, Purdue, Stanford, and Pitt. That sets up the heavyweight bout against number one and defending national champions Miami in the game known as Catholics versus Convicts. Talk about the atmosphere going into that game. It, it was amazing. Uh, it was by far one of the largest games I had ever been involved in. Um, it, it was just the, the atmosphere so... Normally on a college campus, uh, the the RVs and the fans they they start coming in like on Thursday if you guys are good. I mean, we had people showing up on Monday of that week <laughs> camping in out. RVs, camping. And then the way our practice field was situated back then, like we had to walk across the the parking lot. Oh, and. You had there was a Monday that week. I mean, you had fans in their RVs already. They were already tailgating, and like we would walk, we would we were leaving practice. We're like giving people high fives. I mean, this was after practice. Wow, what a build up to a game. So I mean, it was just it was amazing, and and I remember having the chance, and, and, and it was great because we have a, a, a this, this wonderful tradition of having a mass right before the game. And it's in a small uh, chapel in one of the dorms. And you, you can barely fit, you know, like 100 football players in there with coaches. But I remember kind of hearing outside, like, all the noise and everything, but knowing, like, right here in this room, like, I'm going to be fighting with my brothers and for my brothers in, in a few hours. And that was just this, this kind of great surreal moment. And then we went outside and there was, it was tons and tons of fans out there. And we walked from that, that dorm to the football stadium. And it was just an amazing players walk. And like I said, people were, you know, giving each other high five and stuff like that. And it was just probably the, the, the most amazing experience and amazing game atmosphere that I've ever been involved in. Yeah, and that was your first year as a starter. You're only five games in, and after you take down the defending national champs, 31-30, to 30, was this the moment which you and the team knew you could beat just anybody? Yeah, you know, it was really interesting because I think Holtz did a, an amazing job of mixing the young players. Uh, I, I think there were, out of the 22 starters, I think maybe maybe 11 or... Ten of us were like we're starting for our first 
time, like we were all sophomores. Wow. So when we had an amazing sophomore class that year. Um, so it was a great mixture of guys who were young, who were friends, who had friends on University of Miami's team. Um, Pat Terrell actually went to school with a couple of guys on the team. Um, I knew I knew several guys because I was actually one of my visits I was going to take was going to be to Miami. So, I mean, I knew kind of of them and knew kind of what the talent level was versus a, like a lot of the fifth-year seniors. I remember Frank Stans and Wes Pritchett. These are guys who had been through the 58-7 to 7 wallop uh, from Miami. Sure. You know, so, I mean, this is kind of an historical game for us and having a chance to be – be part of something like that was great, but for Hope to be able to kind of mix the young guys and the older guys to the point where we were where we were able to overcome um, such, such a great team it was just an amazing experience. Absolutely, you hand Miami their first regular season loss since 1985, and in a poll <laughs> conducted by the University of Notre Dame, the 31 to 30 win over Miami was voted the greatest victory in Notre Dame stadium history. And it was wow. also featured on the ESPN's 30 for 30 documentary. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich. Did the team and you realize how epic this one game was at the time? Not at all. And a lot of it was because of Holtz's attitude where we, we were, he treated every game um, as though it was a regular season game. Kept which, the focus. Which, which you have to, right, exactly. I mean, you because as soon as you start thinking about how big this game was going to be, you're going to get lost. And we went into it thinking, hey, you know, this is, this is a regular season game for us, which it was. We have a bunch of great, comp- great opponents after this game, so we just have to take one game at a time. Now, when, when we're in it, we're like, this is an amazing game. I mean, <laughs> when, when I look back, you know, I kind of laugh and say, wow, what an amazing experience that I had a chance to to be involved in such a, a great kind of experience. But, um, I mean, my favorite game that year was actually, although I loved the Miami game, my favorite game that year was against Southern Cal. Oh, yeah, that's right. You roll through the next four games and you meet Southern Cal in the season finale. They're ranked second. Did you feel with a win you guys were on the verge of making history? Well, here's what, you know, and once again, these are one of these kind of memorable experiences. For me, there's a little controversy because two of our, our starters were sent home the night before because they missed curfew. And wow. so you have a chance to, to play for the national championship. And Holtz sends two starters home. I mean, who does that? Gutsy right? move. Yeah, but, nobody does that now. But oh yeah, now yeah. It's I mean I, I don't know, but but it, it's it's all about kind of leadership and team and culture and the idea that that no one's bigger than the team. And so for me to learn that at such a young, I mean I was 19 years old, and I was able to kind of witness this kind of ad- adversity occur. But then all of a sudden, I mean, I remember exactly what happened. It, uh, we had a team meeting that night, and Holtz kind of went in front of everybody, and he explained what happened, and he said, seniors, this is your team, and he walked out. Wow. And I'm like, Silence. What's, what's happening? And then all of a sudden, the seniors start standing up, 50 guys start standing up, Frank West Pritchett, all these guys start standing up and talk about kind of the history and the legacy of how important this 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 game is and at that point i knew we were going to win the game because we had you know 100 guys that were willing to kind of go through a wall for each other even though we didn't have our starting towel back or starting receiver and the people who took their place wound up stepping up and performing very well but it's just kind of on that cusp of kind of learning what true leadership and being part of the team is about. Wow. And the brotherhood of the team, that's for sure. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich. 
And the Irish win that game 27 to 10. You head to the 1989 Fiesta Bowl, which pitted your Notre Dame squad against West Virginia for the national championship. What was it like to make it to the mountaintop and what stood out in that game? <laughs> um, first of all, and here's the attitude that we had. Like, it was, it was a great game, but honestly, I thought we were, we were going to be there every year. Oh, I'm sure. Because kind of the level of talent we had. And for us, practices were so much easier. I'm sorry, they were so much harder than the game. And so, I mean, we would go into games knowing that we practiced. I mean, we were, we were playing against Tony Rice. We were playing against Rocket Ishmael. We were playing against Ricky Waters, Tony Brooks. And these are some of the best offensive players in the country. And we faced them every day. I mean, Jerome Bettis. <laughs> Come yeah. on, right? So All-star talent. We didn't think <laughs> we didn't think we we're gonna lose a game. And so we we went went into that game knowing that this was gonna be one of many. And the one thing I remember about the game, our defense had about six to eight penalties, and Hulse was going uh, nuts. <laughs> I bet. And we had and I just talked to one of the guys recently. About, and he did this by accident. He was throwing up his hands in the air and he actually hit a ref in the face, and he got a penalty for that. Oh, for for interfering with a referee? Yeah. So, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was an amazing experience. And, and I think we were very fortunate because in the beginning of the game, I think maybe the second or third um, series, uh, we actually knocked uh, Major Harris out of the game. Yes. And, you know, he wound up being a college Hall of Fame quarterback. I mean, yeah. he had like a gazillion yards. So, I mean, he was no slouch. And, and that was obviously going to be our, our biggest challenge. But when he was out of the game, we knew that we had it then. Exactly. And the Irish went on to beat West Virginia 34-21 in the Fiesta Bowl to win their 11th claimed national championship. Notre Dame will duly celebrate a national championship no doubt, the Irish are number one. And all these years later, how does it feel to be a part of the most recent national championship for Notre Dame? Well, Chris, I, you I were, kind of I'm sure you were hoping for more, but I mean, not just you, but from from, fact, from, from 88 to now. The, the fact that it's been over 30 years is, is kind of embarrassing. And, you know, I mean, when we all get together, you know, we, we kind of laugh and joke. But at the end of the day, like we want our team to be successful, and the fact that we haven't won anything since that time is really embarrassing. So, the idea that you know we are willing to kind of forego all the adulation and and all the pats on the back and everything for another national championship, and hopefully very soon. Yeah, hopefully. And you were mentioning all those great players on the team. Does Tony Rice get enough respect as a national championship quarterback? Um, it's really interesting when you ask that question. I don't think he does personally. I mean, he he, he was an option quarterback, but actually he could he could throw. And, and, and a lot of people didn't realize how good he was until they were playing against him. And everybody was kind of looking for that option. And then all of a sudden, bam, you know, he, he would hit rocket for like a 30-yard pass. And it was really interesting because when you think about the great quarterbacks in Notre Dame history, I mean, he's one of them. And Absolutely. when you look at the, the, what he had to do, I mean, he wasn't asked to throw as much as he should have. Because when you think about it, after he left, we had Rick Meyer. And Rick uh, and um, Hulse had him running the option as well. You know, <laughs> and he, he goes into the pros and he has, you know, I mean, he's a drop by pass and has this amazing first year. So you know, it's just interesting how Tony Rice is perceived kind of in college lore because um, he, he may not have been as successful on paper as a, a lot of the quarterbacks are in history, but when you think around, we were on the cusp of winning back-to-back -back national championships, and it's really interesting. Um, we, we had talked a little bit about the podcast that I have. It's called the Zorch Podcast, and yeah. 
I interview a You've whole bunch Tony of other guys. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the the, the interesting thing was, uh, I was able to have Coach Holt on, and kind of toward the end of the interview, he said, "Christian, I want to, I want to apologize to the guys." And I was like, "Wow, what are you talking about?" And he was like, "Well, the one game that I regret." Is that 1989 Miami game? And I know exactly what he's going to say, but I was like, "Oh, really, Coach?" You know, I'm trying to be a journalist now, right? Like, oh, really? <laughs> um, so, I know so, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> so he starts talking about how, you know, we were kind of a new, uh, uh, a new era at Notre Dame. You know, when we weren't backing down anybody, we would start fights. Um, we we had we had several fights. In 88, we had several fights in 89 that were like either before or after games. And yeah, something Notre Dame wasn't known for at the time, that's for sure. Exactly. And we went down there, and it was, it was a night game, and people were saying that some of the priests were getting, they were, they were throwing um, uh, beer cans at them, spitting on them, what? things like that. I mean, I didn't see any of them, but that's what people were saying. And it was this really hostile environment. And we were warming up. Once again, they came over and started talking to us. We, we, we were kind of fighting back. And Holtz got in the middle of it. He sent us in a locker room. And in the locker room, he said, if we get into, if you guys get into another fight, I'm going to resign. Wow. Okay. And, you know, we're sitting there like, what? what? Wait, wait a minute. What? What? I mean, we're, we're undefeated. We're, we're in this hostile environment. We beat the crap out of them last year. And, and this is, this is our way to kind of prove we belong. And now you're telling us that if we get into, if any player gets into a fight, you're going to resign. And so you could imagine, I so mean, it took, we the, went, took the air out of the balloon. Oh, I mean, you want to talk about just players who were like literally on the, like a, a level 1000, and they went in the locker room, and we walked out of there on like a level five. Oh. And wound up losing the game. And, and he noticed that was, and admitted to it. Right. Now, at the time, you know, we're all stunned like, we don't want our coach to, to resign, you know. So, I mean, imagine the lack of aggressiveness that would occur if your coach told you after you guys won a national championship last year and you guys are undefeated and said that if there's another fight he's he's going to resign. I mean that was that was tough. But in his defense I mean, he he's able to kind of talk about it years later and say that that's the one of his coaching regrets. After coaching for a gazillion years, that's the one game he said that he, he regrets coaching. Wow. But you did bounce back and knock off Eric Bieniemy and a talented Colorado team in the Orange Bowl. Did the team consider it a successful season? Uh, quite honestly, we did not. Um, I mean, although, I mean, we, we were, I think we finished the season like maybe ranked number two because we only lost one game. Yeah. But we, we knew how, how talented we were. And we knew what happened against Miami and so literally it, it was like a loss like like I mean it, it was just an average season for us which which is I, I don't want to sound arrogant but no. I mean we had gone undefeated and then we lost one game and we know why we lost it it, it was just a hard tool to swallow and so we went out and took our revenge on, on Colorado and then at the end of the season it was like okay you know, great. We're ranked number two. We yep. should be number one. Orange we should Bowl have trophy. Back, right, exactly. We should have back-to-back -back national championship. Unbelievable. Maybe people would have said Coach Holtz was on the hot seat. <laughs> <Hopefully. laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> exactly. Nowadays, that's what they would have said. But you're still named UPI Lineman of the Year. Consensus All-American after posting three double-digit tackle games and also ranking third on the team in tackles. We're speaking with a college football legend, Chris Zorich. In your senior year, the team lost some really close games. You still garnered unanimous All-American honors, the Orange Bowl MVP, and the prestigious Lombardi Award. Was that icing on the cake to a legendary career for the Irish? Uh, you know, it, was, it was really interesting because 
Or did that not, kinda, not back-to-back national championships really stick in your... Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> no I mean, I, I grew up, you know, in, in, involved in this environment where I was on the scout team. And so for me, everything was about team, team, team. And having the chance to have some, some individual success, you know, I, I really didn't think it was warranted until, you know, 20, 10, 15, 20 years later, but I'm like, oh, wow, you know, I, I was actually pretty good. That's, that's really cool. You know, I became All-American. That's pretty nice. You just started playing in high school. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> exactly. And so it was fun in that regard, but it was always kind of one of those things where, and I, I say this because, and this is the, the downfall of not being in a conference, right, is that if you lose, you're out of it. Yeah. You, ha- yeah. you basically have to and go undefeated. You don't have that extra. That game. was part exactly, and, and that was part of our kind of our um, motivation. That was that. That was what we talked about all the time. That's why we looked at each game, one game at a time, because we knew, and in, in conferences, anything could happen. You could lose one game, you lose two games, you become a conference champion, and then have a chance to go on and play. Sure. Well, for us, you know, it's all or nothing. And so part of that understanding in the beginning of the year, in the off-season, spring ball, all that stuff was, hey, man, you know, if we lose one, we're out. And so my senior year, I'm a captain, and, you know, I'm going to bring us back. We're going to win another national championship. And the first game we lost was against Stanford, and I just – I was devastated. You know, it was just like, whoa, this is not supposed to happen. I'm a senior, you know. And it was one of those things where – and it's so funny because I, I talk to kids all the time and mainly like younger kids on high school teams, I'm like, you know, please don't ever think I'm only a sophomore and I'm only a junior next year, next year, next mm, year, yep. because that, that next year is going to come. And guess what? You're, you're getting, there's a younger guy on that team going, well, next year, next year, I'll be a senior then. I'll be a senior mm. in two years. I'll, I'll, I'll try harder then. Right. And it, it's the idea of giving your all all the time because I mean no one's I mean nothing's guaranteed and who's to say that your senior year it's going to be better and so my senior year came and rolled around we we wound up losing I believe two regular season games and it was just it was devastating for us but we had a chance to go on and go to the Orange Bowl and actually play Colorado again and we, we, we wound up almost beating Colorado, but there was a phantom clip uh, on Rockets' <laughs> return that did not allow us to have a, a victory in that game. Yeah, it was unfortunate, but that Lombardi Award, speaking of that Lombardi Award, it went down to either a down lineman, offensive or defense, or an edge linebacker until 2016. And then they changed the rules, and since that rule change, it's gone to a running back, safety, and a quarterback. You like this mm, new criteria? Mm, Don't you think the offensive yeah. players get enough hardware as it is? Exactly. Why well, I'm a voter now, so it kind of pisses me off. You know, I'm like, <laughs> man, what the heck is, is this? You know, I mean, I, I'm used to the, my my rugged offensive defensive linemen. So on the quiet, on the down low, I actually never vote for people who are not linemen. So that's 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 I'm, I'm kind of throwing it out there now. All my votes have been for offensive and defensive linemen. I, I actually think they should be, to be honest with you. The <laughs> offense got, has plenty of awards out there. They got the Blitnikoff, exactly. Heisman. So I think Maxwell, the, you, you name it. Yeah, I mean, everything out there for Yeah, them. the Lombardi Award should be offensive or defensive lineman, that's for sure. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich. And the Irish won 23 straight games in 88 and 89. And in your three seasons as a starter, Notre Dame won a whopping 33 of 37 games. Now, I know you talked about some of the tough losses. Which one of the 33 wins stands out the most? Well, I think what's incredible about that is that I think there, during a, I think it was, so we have, we have the, the long, I think we have the current longest winning streak still at Notre Dame, which is 23 games. Yes. But it's amazing because out of those 23 games, we were ranked number one. I want to say like 19 of those games or something like that. Wow. 
And it's so crazy because when you think, and this is why I admire Alabama, because when you're ranked number one, everybody and their mother coming after you is giving you 120%. I mean, anybody you play, you could be playing against Navy and you are going to get the best Navy has. You're going to play against Auburn. They're going to, you are going to get the best they have. And so every time we went on that field being ranked number one, we were defending kind of our pride and knowing that we were getting everybody's 100% was just an amazing feeling. So that's one of the things that, that kind of blows me away because at the time I didn't realize it. And I didn't realize, oh, we're ranked number one, all these games, blah, blah, blah. Sure, well, your focus it's not was game until to game. Later, well, right. It's not until later that you realize and say, wow, we were damn good. <laughs> like when was the last time Notre Dame was, was ranked number one for that long, for, for that length of time? And so now you're putting the fact that you're Notre Dame, everybody wants they either love you or hate you. That's one thing. But then when you add the fact that you're ranked number one, that's a whole different dynamic. And so now people really want to go out there and kill you. Targets so, on your back. Exactly. It's just one of those things where we were able to perform at kind of the highest level in college football. And that's amazing. You know, when, when you think about how great and how, um, how amazing it is to play college football and, you know, for at least for, for 23 games there, we, we kind of reigned supreme over kind of all of college football. And that's a huge responsibility. 23 in a row. Unbelievable. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich and circling back and your coach, Lou Holtz, an incredible motivator of young men. What was it like to play for the legendary coach? Uh, you know, it's funny. It's, you don't realize it until you're, you're away. Um, I think one of, one of the perfect example is he used to be on ESPN. Sure, yeah. And they had a thing called Dr. Lou. Yes. Where yes. he would go into. He's a great personality on TV. <laughs> he would go into like a, like the locker room, so to speak, and, and they would ask him to kind of give give a, 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 a pregame speech to a team. And hearing kind of what he talked to us about and kind of listening from it or, or listening to it as a grown-up, you realize like kind of how important those things are. And so when you think back, like for us growing up, it was always trust, love, and commitment. That was kind of his motto. That's a good one. And you think about kind of how you lived your life after you graduated, a lot of those Holtz-isms or whatever you want to call it kind of come into play. And you're like, wait a minute. So it's kind of, it's kind of one of those situations where you like, you do something or say something that your dad did or your mom did. Sure. And go, wow, I've just become my parent. Exactly. And then all of a sudden now you're like, Oh my God, I just became whole. <laughs> like, like all that stuff that he actually said, like I, apparently I listened because this is the way that I'm coaching my team or I'm raising my family or whatever it is. And it's so important because when you think about as you get older and think about what the sport of football is able to show you about life and, and give you those life lessons, then on top of that, you have this coach who kind of ingrained this mantra of how important the actual team is versus the individual and playing for each other. And are you committed? Can I trust you? Do I love you? I mean, all these things are things that, I mean, I didn't realize I was learning in those four years I was at Notre Dame. And then all of a sudden you get out in life and you're, you're, you're starting to say or think about the things that you learned when you were 19, 21 years old. It, it's, it's hilarious. Wow. Yeah. You're living the lessons you learned when you were in college. Just later, just a little bit later on. It's hilarious. It is absolutely because we'll get together and guys will talk. It's like, man, you sound like, I was just going to say on your podcast, you interview a lot, a lot of former Notre Dame players. Do you, do you hear from them? You're like, Hey, wait a second. I hear a little Holtzism in you. You know, and it's funny because 
you don't think about that until like somebody points it out because it's been ingrained in your mind for such a long time that it becomes normal. Sure. And then you're like, wow, you know, but again, this is how you're able to, to build success. And, you know, so, so people would say, well, would, would Holtz's methods work now? And absolutely, because, I mean, it's about getting the person to understand why you're their leader, right? I mean, one of the people talk about, I mean, what defines a leader and basically, it's being able to find people that, that will follow you and why. And, you know, everybody's going to follow a great coach, especially when he teaches you life lessons. Exactly. Which, again, Not just football, life lessons. You didn't understand what was going on, right? Wow. That's a great tribute to your coach right there. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich. And, wow, you end up getting drafted by your hometown Chicago Bears in the 1991 <laughs> draft. How surreal was that? That was just an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, having a chance to grow up, and my mom and I were huge Bear fans, and to have a chance to, I mean, I've never attended any of the games, but we we watched all of them on TV, and having the chance to actually be drafted, I mean, that's, that's it's an amazing feeling. And it's so rare that that happens. I mean, it happens, obviously, but sure. it's so rare that that happens because, you know, everything has to be in a line, you know, they have to need your position. Um, you, uh, another team doesn't have to need you right before a couple of picks before that. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's all fate. And, and it was just, it was a blast. I mean, I equate it to really just so folks could understand it's as if you had a chance to play for your childhood team and you were able to, play with your your football idol as well because Mike Singletary was my idol. I wore his number in high school and in college and I had a chance to spend two years with him in the pro. So it was just an, an out-of-body experience for me. It, it absolutely had to be when the first time you put on that Chicago Bears uniform. And we're speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich. And in your post-football career, you're still receiving honors. 2007, you're inducted in the College Football <laughs> Hall of Fame. Not only were the youngest player to be inducted at the time, you are only the third defensive lineman from a tradition-rich Notre Dame to be enshrined. A couple of years later, 2009, you're inducted in the FedEx Orange Bowl Hall of Fame. Then 2019, a couple of years ago, you're named to the Walter Camp All-Time All-American Team. How special are those honors? I, just amazing. I mean, you know, I mean I'm, I'm an old guy right now. I'm just turned 52, so... You That's not old. Like, <laughs> you still got a couple <laughs> of hits in you. <laughs> no, I wish I did. <laughs> um, you know, you, you don't expect those those things to happen, and when they do, it's kind of like, wow. Um, I mean, I was fortunate enough to go on and play on the next level, which a lot of folks do not have a chance to do, so sure. I was kind of grateful that I, I had a chance to spend seven years in the NFL, and, and that taught me kind of um, how special the game of football actually is. And when you're admired or you receive awards kind of after you're finished, I mean, it's just a, a testament to what, you, what you're able to accomplish with your team. Because you talk about a guy who had never played organized sports until his sophomore year in high school. Mm -hmm. And go to one of the blue buds of college football. Then right, exactly. One of the premier teams <laughs> in the NFL. And, and I mean, how, literally, I mean, you cannot write that. And having a chance to experience it is just amazing. So I, I thought, you know, hey, that's great. But then there's these accolades that come after your career is done. I was like, whoa, what is this? I didn't realize this is this <laughs> Yeah, right. I had no idea the orange I got the suit high still. I can head hey. down and meet Bob Hope and some other <laughs> fine gentlemen. <laughs> wow. And to top it off, you're the host of the Zorich podcast, which we've been talking about. Let me tell you, you have some amazing Notre Dame legends on there and some great leaders. Who was one of your favorite interviews to date? Oh, wow. I just watched um, the Holtz and Jerome Bettis. I mean, both of them are okay. fantastic. That is okay. me up. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, and, and this, how about this? How about the fact that one of the ways Holtz was able to get Bettis to come to Notre Dame is that he told me he could play tailback. 
A lot of schools wanted to play linebacker. I know that. I know that was a I was good like, story. What the hell? I mean, how do you? How does? And I never knew that, right? I mean, maybe that's why you... he felt comfortable moving you from linebacker to, to uh, defensive <laughs> tackle. Or right, tackle. right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it's interesting because you look at kind of what um, Jerome has done, and, and and he's had a a pro football Hall of Fame career. And to think that that might not have happened had he gone to another school was just really, really interesting. Yeah, that's unreal. And, you know, there's another story about, I was fortunate enough to have Joe Montana on, and he told this great story about how he he was uh, the NC State, his junior year, the basketball team won a national championship. And his senior year, as he's being recruited to play football, NC State offers him a basketball scholarship. Wow. What? I mean, Can I you imagine? Like, what? I was like, Joe <laughs> McCann, never really? He was like, yeah, it was crazy. And he was, he loved basketball. And I was like, what? Like, how did, like, you're that good. Like, he, it was amazing. He was dunking in high school and stuff like that. And, you know, he also tells this amazing story about how he, there were some challenges for him at Notre Dame academically. And football wasn't going well. And so, his sophomore year, he was he, he wanted to leave, and so you know, he told his dad, he said, "Hey, you know, I, 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 I want to go." And his dad, you know, I mean, old school dad was like, "Absolutely not!" You made a commitment, but think about if Joe Montana would have left Notre Dame. Mm. Unreal. I mean, we do not win the, the, the 1977 national championship. That that's out of there. There's no chicken soup game. I mean, there's no historic comebacks for Joe Montana in college or at least in Notre Dame. So it's just kind of those amazing stories yeah. that, that you hear. And it's like, wow, you know, this is, this is amazing. But one of the, one of my favorite ones I just had was, um, it was his name was Sam Jotty and he's actually a walk-on. Oh. Uh, he was a walk-on player and he actually became a, uh, he won a world series of poker bracelet because he competed in one of the World Series of Championship or one of the World Series of Poker Games, which is in itself amazing. Yeah, that is. I buy a little go kinda, fish. That's about it. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the reason why I, I, I kind of think about that story is because here's a guy who was, I mean, he grew up in Seattle, was Indian. Played soccer like all of his career, all of his high school career. Was a really good player, and then went to Notre Dame. Great student, and really kind of said, "Man, you know what? I'd like to try out." And he had never kicked before oh in high school, <laughs> but he was a soccer player, and he was he actually he was able to walk on during the whole time. So you know, it's just kind of those those kind of amazing stories about not only kind of overcoming adversity, but also kind of realizing or being able to fulfill your dreams. And it's, it's great to hear stories like that. And there's one last story I can leave you with um, uh, about my podcast. I had the former CEO of Sprint on. Okay. Who's a 1975 graduate of, of Notre Dame. His name is Dan Hesse. And he tells this great story about, um, he was on our rowing team, and it was a club sport at the time, so okay. it didn't have a lot of money. Sure. And he stole the letterhead from the athletic department <laughs> oh, no. and wrote a letter to the best boat builder in the world and talked about kind of, you know, they're, they're right on the cusp of, of, of winning games, but, you know, everybody else has a better boat, blah, blah, blah. And so he's like, you know, this is, this is our size. We would like this boat, blah, blah, blah. And so the guy makes the boat no. and sends the invoice back to him. <laughs> and, you know, he really didn't, Dan really didn't think it was going to, I mean, it was kind of a, a whim, you know, like, hey, sure. maybe this will work. Yeah, here, I got some extra letterhead. Let's, let's type this out. Let's, let's send it out. <laughs> Never thought about it. Then it showed up, and he was like, well, so then he actually kind of had to come clean. He explained to him, you know, hey, you know, we're actually not a varsity sport, blah, blah, blah. We're actually not part of the athletic department. Um, <laughs> but, but thank you for the boat. Him, you're right. No, right. 
But I, I think the bro was like five grand or something like that. Oh, so they actually, yeah. They what spent, every college kid has, an extra five right, grand exactly. laying around. So they wound up spending, I'm sorry, they wound up raising the money and sending him like $200, $300, $400 at a time until they were able to pay it off. But, but the guy kind of, he kind of chuckled and laughed about, well, you know, here's this, this, this college kid, you know, writing to me to kind of build this, this, this world-class boat for him. <laughs> and he put it on their name, athletic letterhead where I was like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. But it, it's a great story. So you, you, you learn kind of stories like that and how he became successful. And you, you, you fast forward several years after that, and he becomes the CEO of, of AT&T wireless. Wow. And then eventually, uh, Sprint. So, you know, it's just, and, and, and he taught a lot, a lot of the, the lessons he learned was from his time at Notre Dame. His dad was in the military and people often ask him, Hey, how did you become the CEO? He's like, look, it's no science. I just work harder than everybody else did. You know, everybody left at five. I left at seven. People got there at nine. I got there at eight. I got there at seven o'clock, you know? So it was just one of those things where comedy from Notre Dame, what he learned from his, from his parents, that allowed him to kind of be successful. But I thought it was so funny to kind of hear the CEO of Sprint talk about how he was able to finagle a boat from one of the world's best boat builders. <laughs> that is fantastic. And there's so much more on the Zurich Podcast, conversations with leaders and legends. I recommend everybody check it out on chriszurich.com, and it's also on many other platforms. All right, it's time, time to go. Y'all ready for this? Three and out. It's time to go three and out with college football legend Chris Dorch. Three lighter questions to close out the interview. First off, Chris, who will win the next championship, the Bears or the Irish? <laughs> <laughs> we just talked about this, Chris. Damn. Um, uh, I, I'm going to have to say my Irish because we we need it. We absolutely need it. The, the Bears won. Uh, well, they were actually in the Super Bowl in 06, so they had a chance. So yeah. we actually need to meet. We need one. <laughs> well, we got our fingers crossed on that one. And if you could replicate one thing from the Notre Dame campus in your living room or your backyard, what would it be? Well, for those of the folks who've, who've had a chance to be on the campus. Um, Beautiful campus, by the way. There's an exact replica of the grotto that was in, that is, is in Lourdes, France, I believe. and that's kind of the mecca of where people go during during the exams. People get engaged there. Parents come on visits. It's just this beautiful kind of sound spiritual place on campus. And so if I, and I guarantee you, you, you ask other people from their name, I'm sure they say the exact same thing. It's they would build a grotto in their backyard. Wow. Well, we'll be looking for it on your, uh, on your Twitter feed. I'm going I'm to expect some construction <laughs> photos. <laughs> All right. And finally, I'm a foodie. So if you were to point me to one Chicago legendary meal, where are we going and what are we eating? Okay. So this is going to be, it's not the healthiest. Thing. Oh, no, no. I prefer the non-healthiest, please. Okay. So there, we are famous for what are called Maxwell Street Polishes. Okay. And it is these two... Now, now they have since kind of changed the the uh, the setup, but back in the day, there were probably like maybe ten to fifteen of them on Maxwell Street, which was kind of like a uh, a flea marketplace. Okay. And now there's only there's uh, there's actually uh, three of them now, I believe, but they're famous for they're open twenty four hours. Perfect. There's lines there constantly, and what they do is they make these amazing sausages and they they. They grill onions on them, and there's only one condiment, and that's mustard. So you, you get this huge pull of sausage. You don't have to make decisions, so that's good. Even with, <laughs> with grilled onions, and it, they put mustard on there. It's one of the best things you'll, you'll ever have in Chicago. Oh, man. I have missed out on it when I've been in Chicago, but when I get back, that's exactly what I will be eating. And we've been speaking with college football legend Chris Zorich. Thanks for joining me, Chris. Oh, Chris, was a blast, man. Thank, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Go Irish. And of course, Believe in College Football Legends is presented by Bet Online.
Thanks for listening to the Believe in College Football Legends podcast. Make sure to check out all the prior episodes with Heisman winners, legendary coaches, and sports personalities reliving the greatest plays. You can tweet your questions at the Sports Jesus and join us next week because it will be legendary. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.